The following elective was recorded live at the 2023 Fly Convention. Portions were cut due to technical issues. All right, thanks for uh, coming out, everyone. Uh, glad you could be here for another uh, bright and beautiful day here uh, at the YMCA of the Rockies. My name is Pastor Micah Dermstead. You maybe recognize me as the guy that was uh, up in front last night. Uh, thank you for, uh, for having me again for that. Great night. And the uh, concert was pretty good too, I heard. Is that right? Yeah? Okay, good. Um, so we are going to talk about uh, truth and love today. Uh, as we get started, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thanks so much for uh, your goodness to us. Thank you for, for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the hope of heaven. And God, I pray that, that as we live in this world, um, in many ways as, as foreigners, as, as people who live uh, under a, a, different, um, a different worldview than, than, than the rest of, or, or many others around us would, would be living, God, I pray that you would give us a, a, a humility uh, in that and a, and a confidence and a love for all who are around us. Help us to know how we can address difficult situations in a way that expresses your love uh, to all who are around. And so I just pray that you would uh, bless our, our time now this morning. Uh, thank you again for, uh, for bringing us together. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, uh, projectors are working. You can see a screen or a, a picture on there, truth and love. Okay, all right, good. Okay, uh, so... Um, we're going to talk about truth and love, like I said, and, and uh, just a little bit about me. Uh, you heard some of that last night. I am the president of the AFLC. I was elected to this position last uh, summer, and, uh, and after, uh, after I was elected, I don't remember if it was a few days or just a few weeks, I, I got an odd email. Uh, it was an email that was signed by uh, just uh, one name, so it was a, just one name, not a first or last name, just one name. Uh, and, I, and I think, uh, though, because this person's email address was a Yahoo address, and mine is also a Yahoo address, uh, that, that Yahoo like, figured out who this person was, and so put their, fir their real first and last name on my screen. So I got to see who the person actually was. I didn't know this person. Uh, and, and, and I couldn't find the email, so I can't give you the exact wording of it, but I, I have a screenshot of my reply, and so I was able to see the subject line to remember that, and that's on the screen. The subject line of this mysterious email was, what does your church believe about same-sex marriage? In the original email, I went something very close to this. Could you tell me what your church teaches about same-sex marriage? Do you believe that being LGBTQ is sinful or do you believe that God loves everyone for who they are and accepts them? Okay, so I was curious, who might this person be? I went on Facebook. Facebook is a great place to stalk people. I don't know if you know that in a healthy way. Okay, not bad. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I looked, that, I typed in the name, and up came a result with a person with one mutual friend. Guess who that mutual friend was? My wife. So I had a very good resource. I went to my wife and I asked her, I said, do you know this person? She said, oh yeah, we went to PA school together. And, uh, and I said, well, she signed this email with this name and, and my wife said, oh yeah, that's her dog's name. So she had tried to be a little secretive, a little bit inconspicuous, but we were able to figure out who it was. So the question then for me is, what do I do? I've got this email uh, that's asking what we believe uh, about same-sex marriage. Do we believe that God loves everybody and accepts who they are, or do we believe that it's sinful? 
Directly answering those questions right away would have been uh, not the best approach. Okay, and if you're wondering why, it's because the two questions that were posed are incompatible with each other. She framed the discussion by defining certain terms in a way that aren't true to Scripture. And so I couldn't accurately give her an answer because she was using definitions that were different uh, for, for terms that were different than what I would use that, that we believe Scripture teaches. And so if I engage on her based on her definition of the terms she used, I wouldn't have been able to effectively communicate what God's Word says. She asked, do you believe that being LGBTQ is sinful? Is homosexuality a sin? Yes. Okay, we believe that. The Bible says that it is. But then she said, or do you believe that God loves everybody? And so she framed it in such a way that didn't allow for the truthful answer, which is that we believe both. Homosexuality is a sin, okay, and God loves you. This would have been confusing for her because her definition of love was twisted. And so what do we do? John 3.21 came to mind. Jesus says there, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Just kind of a side point. Speaking truth, living in truth is so helpful. It's so easy to to want to hide in shadows or to manipulate truth or things like that. But it's, but it's, I, it's so much easier to interact in a productive way with people when we can just be honest and be open. And so I decided uh, to reply this way, and, and I got a screenshot of the answer, like I said, and I, I don't think you can read that, so I'll, I'll read it for you. I wrote as graciously as I could to her. I said, hi there, thanks for reaching out, and you ask a good question that I'm happy to answer with the love of Christ. I don't believe we've ever met, but if we ever do, I hope you'll see that I embrace honest dialogue with grace. Another way of saying that, truth and love. Honesty, truth, grace, and love, okay? We want to embrace honest dialogue with grace. So important, okay? I usually find it helpful, I told her, to know who I'm talking to. I know you signed your message, so-and-so, but is your name so-and-so? And And if so, did you go to PA school with my wife? If so, I'm still willing to answer your question. I'd just like to begin interactions like this with openness and honesty. I find it helps with communication along the way. In Christ, Micah. Now, I don't know if that was quite the best way to go about it. I'm going to give you another alternative way that I could have addressed her right away a little bit later. But, But my desire, my goal was to bring deception out and and pull her into the light of truth because my ultimate goal is to have productive and healthy interaction and that can only be done in the light and in the truth of God's word. And she was trying to hide truth for whatever reason. I never heard from her again. She never replied to this. If her motives were sinister or deceitful, me calling her out probably scared her away. There is a chance that her motives were genuine. And she was simply too afraid to to, to face me, so to speak, for whatever reason. And that's one reason that I tried to be as gentle as I could in that message. And if that was the case, uh, and and she didn't like this, but she was honestly looking for answers, I pray that someone else is able to help her. But I bring this up today because this is an example of an attempt to engage in honesty and truth in a loving way in a world where that is increasingly a foreign concept. 
All right, uh, we're going to read some verses here, if my computer will let me get there. Okay, Ephesians 4, 11 to 32. So if you have uh, your Bibles with you, you can turn there and follow along with me. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 11 through 32. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may, be no longer, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now I say this, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief uh, no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." All right, I want to talk uh, about definitions today, and uh, specifically, what does truth mean, and what does love mean, and why are they so important? My question for us, as we get started with, with this first part, is what happens when objective truth is removed from a society? So we live in a, in a day today when, when truth, objective truth, is, is cast aside and either ignored, twisted, or downright rejected. Uh, you can't tell me what truth is because my truth is different. Okay? Anytime someone says, I'm going to speak my truth, now, oftentimes that's harmless and silly and doesn't, it's not that big of a deal. Okay? But that's an indicator of the culture telling us that our truth gets to be our truth, whatever it is, and you can't tell me what my truth is. And I can't tell you what your truth is. We all get to have our own truth. Okay, I thought of this uh, illustration, kind of a dark illustration. Are you familiar with the, with the film series, The Purge? A few people are, okay. Uh, I have not seen any of the movies. Uh, if you're not familiar with this film series, uh, the films present a seemingly, this is from Wikipedia, so you know it's true, uh, a seemingly normal, crime-free America in the near future. 
However, the country is a dystopia which observes an annual event known as the purge in which all crime, including murder, is decriminalized for a 12-hour period. So in these movies, there's a 12-hour period where you can go out and literally do whatever you want and no one can tell you that it's wrong. And they build these movie series off it, and, or these movies off of it, and, uh, and, and I think it's kind of an interesting uh, illustration of where this idea that there's no such thing as objective truth, or there's no such thing as right and wrong, or I can do whatever I want and you can't tell me what I can and can't do, really gets taken to the extreme. The world defines truth as an abstract reality that each individual controls for themselves. Please understand that. The world defines truth. To the world, truth is an abstract reality that each individual controls for themselves. Now, something like the purge is kind of a dark example. And I gave kind of a dark and morbid example, too, of like a friend taking a bullet for you last night. So I don't know why my mind goes here. But, but I think it's okay for us sometimes to talk in extremes because we don't realize all the time... Uh, how and why some of the actions and how they affect and how they lead certain ways. And so, um, and, and so I, I talked about this with my confirmation students when I would teach confirmation. If it's true that I get to decide truth for me, then why can't I do whatever I want? And I would give them the example, why can't I come and murder your family and take your house? because you've got a better house than me. And it seems like kind of a, a, a maybe a, a crazy example, and, and of course that would never happen, but if we're going to take this for what it's saying, if I get to decide for myself what I want to be true, why can't that be true for me? And why do you get to tell me that that's wrong? And to think of an example like that okay, makes people, oftentimes I found, very uncomfortable. They're unwilling to acknowledge that there's an inconsistency here because, because people reject that all the time. They're like, no, 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 we live in a society that would never allow such things. Do you see, you see where they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth? Why can you say in one sentence, I can do whatever I want, nobody can tell me what to do, and the other way, no, society would never allow that. By the way, this is because I believe God's law is written on our hearts. <laughs> And so we all know right and wrong. We all know there's a such thing as truth. And sadly, we're just living in a culture that, that, that does everything it can to squelch that, to ignore it, to reject it. This is part of what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4, verse 14, so that we may no longer be tossed like children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You don't get to say, you can do whatever makes you happy, but then say that there are rules. People uh, sometimes will say, we need some rules to maintain good order. But again, you can't say that and also assert that I get to pick my own truth. And people have their own definitions even about good order too. Now, like I said, things like the purge aren't real, okay? But here's an example from last week that I want to give you where the absence of any submission to objective truth introduces new doctrines that just toss people around. Did anybody hear about this? It's called the Sparkle Creed. Okay? This was uh, a church just a couple weeks ago in suburban Minneapolis. So uh, 
many of you probably say the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed uh, in your church on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and, and this was this church's uh, variation of it. Okay? By the way, what, does, what does the Apostles' Creed teach us? It teaches us about God the Father and his work of creation, right? God the Son and his work of redemption, God the Holy Spirit, and his work of sanctification. So they're saying, we're throwing all that out. That's not going to be our core statement of faith anymore. This is what we're going to believe, okay? The Sparkle Creed. I'll read it for you uh, because I recognize the words might be a little bit small. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of, the, of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the quilt whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love, so beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. Pretty wild. Okay? And again, they have thrown out, there's, there's no hint in here of sin, of God's atoning sacrifice, of his victory over sin and death. It's all just, we're all one, we all just love each other. Core biblical truths, completely gone. This is an example of how the culture, when we take away truth, can just throw anything out there. I would assert to you today, too, that this is not new. Sometimes we think it is. It seems like a new problem that's just getting worse. I would argue that that creating our own truth is simply one consequence of an ancient problem. The devil actually isn't that creative. He's really just been doing a lot of the same tricks for thousands of years. His tricks just take on slightly different form, but they're the same thing. Like I said, the world defines truth as an abstract reality that each individual controls for themselves. Now, in light of that, listen to these verses from Genesis 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice a few things in that text. The serpent is questioning truth right away. Did God actually say? Is what God said actually true? So this, this, this doubt of truth was brought into the world by the devil himself. And then the goal ultimately, down to verse 5, where I ended, is we or the devil wants to then feed your desire to know truth and to be 
the, the, essentially the Lord of truth for yourself. Your eyes will be opened and you can be like God knowing good and evil. You can be like God knowing truth. You can have your own truth. Very, very similar. It's the same stuff. The idea that we get to pick our own truth is very easily traced back to the fall, to the introduction of sin into the world, sin that separates, sin that drove Adam and Eve from the garden. Okay, do you see that? We, I don't know if you've heard that before. Okay, sin separates. Sin separates us from God, and that was, that was demonstrated when sin came into the world. God said, Adam and Eve, you can't be here anymore. You are separate now. I'm, you have to leave the Garden of Eden. You have to leave your place with me because of sin. Sin separates us from the presence of God. Sin that alienates. Okay, look at verse uh, 18 and that word alienate. And it's up there. I put verses 17 through 19 from Ephesians 4. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay, so sin separates, sin alienates. Now, that's not the first time that Paul uses that word in Ephesians or a version of that word. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about how um, uh, when you are saved by grace through faith, you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so, and so Christ coming and saving us restores that. So we're no longer separated. We're no longer alienated from God because of Christ. And if you remember back to Monday night, okay, Pastor Ryan preached on Ephesians chapter 2 on the first verses, and he talks about how you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, you followed the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air, there's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. There's a hard truth here, friends, and if uh, you've tuned me out, that's okay. I would invite you to come back in right now. Here's a hard truth, and we're talking about truth in love. There is a God, and you are not him. So simple. God is the God of truth, and that is not you. You do not get to pick your own truth. God does that. And we are accountable to this God, and we fall short of his perfect standards because of that sin that separates. And it's not a mess that we can get ourselves out of. And by the way, that's true of, of, of all sin. Okay? I've kind of picked on the sin of homosexuality a little bit, giving those two examples of the email and, and of the sparkle creed. But, but the reality here is that my pride, or I think I, I, think I mentioned last night in my sermon, uh, my 16-year-old Micah's arrogance and and goody two-shoes and all that kind of stuff like that's just as alienating from God as the sin of homosexuality sin is sin and we're all guilty we don't like that truth so if you don't like to hear that join the club (laughs) 
None of us like to hear that. Our natures don't like it. But what happens then, and we're seeing this in our culture, but like I said, we've seen it for thousands of years. We try to avoid it. We try to hide with it. We don't like it. Reminds me of, um, as a kid, maybe you guys still do this. Uh, I don't know, do you still get skinned knees? I don't get skinned knees as an adult anymore unless I'm playing softball and I'm sliding on dirt with shorts. Not a good idea. Okay, uh, but, but putting like hydrogen peroxide on your, on your open wound, do you guys know what that's like? Okay, yeah. It doesn't feel good, right? We don't like it. It burns. It's terrible. Okay, we don't like sin. We don't like to be told that there's a problem, that there's a wound. It hurts for that to be exposed. And so just because we don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. That's why I say we bring this stuff out into light. We deal with it and and know it's not fun. But I would beg you to please recognize that the world's alternative only leads you to death and hell. To avoid it, to redefine it, to reject it altogether. The world wants to make sin this moving target of whatever any individual wants it to be. Or some would say it's just best not to think that there's any such thing as sin in the first place. And then we can just live happy lives. But I would go back to some of those morbid examples. If there's no such thing as sin, if there's no law, why can't every day just be like the purge then? We can just do whatever we want. It's just tossing to and fro. And it's not sustainable and it ultimately destroys, which, by the way, again, is what the thief, what the devil comes to do, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It is not sustainable. All right. We've talked a lot about truth, okay? Now, what is love? I mentioned those first verses in Ephesians 2. We are by nature children of wrath. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Do you remember that little three letter word that Pastor Ryan mentioned and highlighted on Monday night in Ephesians 2 verse 4? There, someone said it. But. Okay? One of the most glorious words in all of Scripture. That's a subjective thing. There's a lot of glorious words. But isn't that good news? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're by nature children of wrath. That is truth, and it's hard truth. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were unlovable. I think I mentioned that last night too. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then a little further down, I don't think Pastor Ryan got to this verse, but Ephesians 2.13, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, so you who were separated, alienated, you who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought back into the family of Christ. And again, I don't know if this is good or bad. It's just a consequence. On the morning after you preach, I've got all these examples from my preaching. But that prodigal son parable that I gave you at the end last night. Returning. You've been, you were, the, the younger son rejected God, rejected the father, found himself in a pigsty, and remembered, Christ, remembered the love of the father and went back. And the Father welcomed him and embraced him with open arms. That is made possible to you today by the blood of Christ. 
That's the gospel. And one of the things that I love about the gospel is that it's honest about our true state. That's why I feel like I've spent, yeah, a lot of time on, on truth and not getting to really the core of this session yet, which we'll get to in a minute here, um, but on, on how do we speak truth in love. We, we have to have right definitions. We have to understand what truth is. We have to understand what love is. And so I, I spent all this time on truth because it's under such attack in our culture today. But one of the things that I love about God's word is that it's honest about our true state and then it provides a solution to a true problem. So if we have this problem presented to us, someone asking us a difficult question like, what does your church believe about same-sex marriage? We've got to have a really firm grasp and understanding of what truth is, what we're actually dealing with. We're not dealing with philosophy or, or, or some of these other things. We're dealing with, with sin and grace. And we have to, we have to understand that that this is the root issue. And that's what, that's what Scripture does. It doesn't try to avoid things or deny things. It, it's honest about our true state, and then it's God providing a solution to our true problem. I use this example when I'm, uh, when I'm pastoring. Sometimes people come into my office for counseling of various forms, okay? And, uh, and one of the things I, I tell them as we kind of get started is, is it's really important for you to be open and honest with me about everything that's going on. And I use an analogy, and it's kind of a simple, silly analogy, but it's like if you go to the doctor because your knee is hurting, but you go to the doctor and say, my elbow is sore. How much good is the doctor going to be able to do for your knee? Not much, right? So you, it, oh, honesty, truth is so important to be based on that because then we can talk about God's honest glorious solution that love isn't just love is love is love, just do whatever you want. It's not that we accept and affirm everybody and anybody's truth regardless of whether or not it is in line with God's truth. You know, if I would have had an opportunity to to engage more with that person who emailed me or maybe, like I said, I should have done this right off the bat, a good starting point would have been just simply to ask, what do you mean by love? And to try to understand what she thought. But based on the way she framed those questions, um, I can tell you that her description, her understanding of, of God's love was probably not faithful to what Scripture says. Because love is not just accept and affirm everybody and anybody's truth. Rather, love is God's response in Christ, to the truth that we are by, sinful, or by nature sinful and in need of a Savior. Okay, how about this? This is love. God knows everything about you. It's kind of scary. There's kind of a two-sided part of that. Part of it shows his great care. He knows everything about you. He even knows how many hairs are on your head. Okay, so, so the fact that God knows everything can be a, a, a great encouragement, but it can be kind of scary too because he also knows your deepest, darkest secrets. He knows everything about you and he was willing to die on the cross to make you right. That is love. True love. Or is it Princess Bride? True love? Is that how you say that? True love is that there is someone 
who knows everything about you and still chooses to want a relationship with you. Isn't that amazing? That is so much better, friends, than any kind of love that this world would try to, to, to trick us into believing. Because this love, God's love in Christ, addresses our deepest need and it provides an eternal solution. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. To speak truth in love is to speak Christ. To live a life that is marked by truth in love is to live in Christ. And if that sounds uh, abstract to you, you know, so this question is, how do we speak truth in love? Christ. Okay, or the, it's a Sunday school answer, right? The Sunday school answer to every question is Jesus, okay? <laughs> so so, so that, if, if that sounds abstract to you, okay, I'm with you, I get that, but please follow me on this, okay? If we want to talk about truth and love, what is truth? Ephesians 4.21 in our text, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, or John 14, 6 is a more famous verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the epitome of truth. Okay, now, he's also love. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, I already read those verses. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, okay, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved or 1 John 4.10, which I just recited a minute ago, this is love. So you ask, what's love? Well, the Bible says, this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation uh, for our sins. So Jesus Christ is the epitome. He's, <laughs> he is the perfection of truth in love. And it's a hard thing for us to model because we aren't Christ, right? We aren't Jesus and we struggle with this dichotomy. It, it's, it's human nature, tendency, to, to, to err uh, on one side or the other. So sometimes people will, will, uh, will focus on truth and, and not deal with, or excuse me, focus with love, not deal with truth. So, so and this is uh, something I kind of borrowed from a, a pastor uh, recently passed away uh, that I really respected, Timothy Keller. Uh, he said, love without truth is deadly. Okay, so we struggle with this, truth and love, okay? Those that say that, that we're just going to love and not deal with the truth, that's deadly. And we see that in things like the Sparkle Creed. Avoid truth, get rid of truth, let's just love everybody, and, 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 and we don't want to offend with the truth, so we're just going to love, okay? Well, that's not honest, though. On the other side, there are people who, who, who really, really delve into the truth side of things, but they do so by sacrificing any thought of, of loving one another. And that can be deadly too, because it leads to this abrasive uh, personality or, 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 or coldness with one another that just really turns people away. People ignore the message. So you may, you may have the best, most truthful, honest message to tell someone, but if you do it in a... In a in an arrogant, abrasive, cold way, without any love, um, you're just going to turn them off. 
So we need truth and love, but it's hard to keep those together for us humans because, because we're selfish. We either err on the love side where we desire acceptance, and so we avoid telling the truth. Have you ever been there, by the way? I have. I desire to be accepted by someone, or I, I don't want to make waves, and so, I, and so I avoid saying something that I probably, a truthful thing I should probably say. I've been guilty of that. Truth people struggle with arrogance. I've been in there too. We, the truth people des- desire oftentimes just to put people down, or they like to show off, to prove to everyone that they're right, and there's no desire to humbly love their neighbor. And so how do we, how do we wrestle with this, <laughs> with this challenge of speaking truth and love? My argument today to you humbly is that the solution is the cross. Jesus died because of the truth that we are sinners, that we are lost, and he died because of his love. The truth of the cross is insulting because it says that you are so bad that it took God's son's death to save you. That's how bad you are. It took the son of God dying to save you. But the love of the cross says that you are a person of such worth and value that the Son of God was willing to die for you. You are so valuable to the God of the universe. He loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. When we, when we get that, the cross is honest about our real situation and it's the brilliant demonstration of God's love. When we can see that, when, when that's a part of our lives, that that is the ultimate message of truth and love, when you get that, okay, what it does then is it humbles you out of that abrasiveness or that arrogance. When you see the truth of the cross, it humbles you. But then when you see the love of the cross, it affirms you out of your need to always please people. And so what you have then, when you really embrace and and believe in the truth and the love of the cross, you now are a humble person with confident faith and love for one another. And that's that's the culture, that's the lifestyle that you have then as a Christian because it's so hard to actually give specific examples. People understandably want, like, just give us a quick five-point to-do list on how to speak truth and love. It's so hard to do that because every situation is different, right? Okay, I don't, I don't even know if I did it the right way with that gal in the email. I tried, though, because I wanted to be honest and I wanted to show her, to tell her that I still wanted to engage in her because I cared about her. And so this idea of truth and love, it's, it's, it's more of a culture, more of a lifestyle than a specific to-do list. I hope that makes sense to you. And that culture and that lifestyle is marked by the cross, by Christ. There's not some clever trick to definitively speak truth and love in every specific situation. Rather, we look to our Christian life and what that is founded on in that life is Christ. And we see that Christ as the ultimate message of truth and love, then that gives us a framework to live in where we can humbly and graciously, confidently uh, engage with others. Now, all of that to say, 
the last part of our text gives a few things that we can look for that can help guide us and steer us as we're navigating this. And so, and I don't know, my computer did something funny there, but, but it starts in verse 24. And if you have your Bibles open, you can just quick look there. <clears throat> Put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay? Paul is saying here that the idea is you put on Christ, okay? And so to speak truth in love is to put on Christ, to put on the new self. And then in that light, okay, we are Christ to them. We show them Christ. And so we speak truth and love with the words of Christ. And so, and so what does that look like now as we have, have, have believed in God, he has brought salvation and eternal life. Uh, the Bible talks in many places about putting on Christ, being clothed in Christ. Our life is Christ. Okay, in light of that, what does that look like? Then we get all of these tips, starting at verse 25. We speak truth. Okay, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay, speak truth. And, and we've talked today about truth kind of in the context of, of hard truth. And it's certainly that, but also, I would argue, it's just general, just, just be honest with people. I was at a, um, a meeting uh, a couple weeks ago in the uh, Minneapolis area, uh, with other uh, Christian faith leaders, and uh, we were looking at all of the uh, laws that had been passed by the Minnesota legislature in their in their session. And if you're not familiar, um, especially if you're from another state, uh, Minnesota passed some of the most radical uh, bills uh, that that our country has really, frankly, ever seen. Many of them just flat out illegal, and they've already been struck down in the courts remarkably fast because of how, how crazy they were, okay? So anyway, so we're talking about this stuff, and there was a woman there who had run for uh, Bloomington City, or Bloomington School Board. Bloomington is a suburb of Minneapolis. She ran for the school board. She lost, uh, but she was talking about uh, some, of the act, uh, some, some of the interactions she had with, with her community members, and and she said it was fascinated. She would, she would talk with these people, and she would just vehemently disagree. And we're talking about issues of, of life, uh, gender, all this kind of stuff. And they would just be firmly opposed to her. Okay, but she would engage them and do so in a loving and gracious way. And, and finally, you realize you're not getting anywhere. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Happy to meet you. Have a good day. Turn around and walk away. And this happened on numerous occasions, she said. As she's walking away, they would yell after her, wait, can I get one of your signs to put in my yard? It's like, what are you talking about? You don't agree with, any, you don't agree with me on anything. And without fail, every time she said, the people responded, but we know you're genuine. And that's what we want on our school board. And I thought that was a fascinating example of our culture's hunger for, for genuine honesty. <laughs> Just being truthful with one another in a culture that is trying to get rid of truth because, like I said, the law of God's written on our hearts. We all deep down want this and need this. We're hungry for it. And she, I would say, saw that on a very practical level that people, whether they realize it or not, they're hungry just for genuine honesty. Speak truth. Putting on Christ, living in him, helps us with this too. Sometimes I, I say that because sometimes 
uh, it's, we, we get scared. It's, we're, we're afraid to speak truth if we know that the person's not going to like it, right? Having put on Christ, verse 24, as an intro to this section, that helps us with that because now our identity is Christ. So we don't need the approval and the acceptance of others to feel good about ourselves. We have Christ. And so when you come into a situation where you uh, are, are going to say something to someone that they might not like, it can be a scary thing. But I would encourage you to remember that you belong to Christ and that he loves you, that he values you so much, so much more than anything this world could give you. Remember your identity. That helps you when you have to say hard things to people. Okay, next. Uh, resolve anger, our text says. Okay, sometimes it's our own sin, okay? But the verse here does allow for righteous anger of sorts. It says, be angry, but do not sin, okay? Uh, Christ got angry sometimes. As a pastor, I have seen the devil's handiwork over and over again, and that makes me angry. How do we resolve anger? How do we not let ourselves uh, devolve into, into bitterness and malice and all this kind of stuff? When, when, when we see things that make us angry, we give it to the Lord. It's not your job, my job, to be the judge and juror over some of these things. When something happens that makes me angry, God, please intervene. This is, you are the judge. You are the one who, who speaks truth and who judges truth. Give that to him. Don't let that anger become worse. Give generously. Give money, but, 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 but give time also. Um, there's a, a, a book out there by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. I haven't read all of it yet. The gospel comes with a house key. Essentially talks, as I understand it, talks about um, just inviting people into your life, having them at the dinner table, okay? In other words, invest time in your neighbors, whether you agree with them or not. Show them that you care about them. That's a way to, to, to build this culture that I was talking about, this lifestyle of truth in love. Show people that you care. Invest and give generously of your time uh, and your resources to show people that you care about them. Speak charitably, okay? That's another one in our text. Remove, I kind of talked about this one, bitterness, wrath, slander, malice. Practice kindness and forgiveness as God and Christ forgave you. And that's where I'll end here today. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Speak truthfully, genuinely, and love one another as God and Christ has has loved you. Forgive one another. Be gentle with each other. That's avoiding that abrasiveness of, of focusing too much on truth. Be gentle, be loving, be kind, be honest. And God will, and he says this in his word, he will give you the words to say. So when we have these specific examples of how to do this and how to do this, like I said, it's so hard to do that. But when you can ground your demeanor, your lifestyle in some of these things, what it means to put on Christ, to preach and to speak and to live the cross, then we have the, 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 the framework, the foundation on which to address those specific issues. Hope that makes sense. Um, our time is uh, almost up. I think we have one minute. So we're just going to say that it's up. Um, I'm going to stick around. Uh, if you have questions, uh, feel free to come up. Uh, thanks for coming. Enjoy lunch and the rest of the day. Hopefully the sun stays out. Thanks, everyone.